Welcome to On the Spot with Melinda Garvey, the On the Dot interview series where we sit down with some of the most intriguing and interesting women to watch featured in our daily email newsletter and podcast, Four Minutes with On the Dot. Make sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode of On the Spot, available every Thursday on your favorite podcast streaming services. Today, I'm chatting with Carolyn Cole, the founder and owner of the global business consulting and coaching company, Boomtank.com and host of the Boomtank Business Show podcast. Without further ado, let's start the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to today's issue of On the Spot with Melinda Garvey. We're so glad to have you here today. I love this podcast because it really gives us a chance to talk in depth to some of the most intriguing and engaging women that we have on our daily podcast, which is four minutes of On the Dot. We give you a little taste and then we pick some of those really, really incredible women to have a deeper conversation with. So I'm really excited today to bring you Carolyn Cole from Boom Tank. I love the name of your company. That's so much fun. Boom Tank. And we'll love to hear about that. But Carolyn is a recovering attorney turned coach and podcaster and just generally someone who's out there really trying to help corporate executives and entrepreneurs find that thing, that thing that's going to that's gonna fulfill them. So I'm, I'm really excited and welcome, Carolyn. So glad to have you on the show today. It's a complete honor to be here. Thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about this because whenever I grew up with my father was an attorney and, you know, I know that like, gosh, it seems like, you know, when you're sort of died in the wool attorney, that's your life, you know, you're a life or you've sort of chosen that path. And so I'm intrigued by here you are this corporate attorney you did trial, right? Trial law. And then you, you make kind of a sharp, right turn and um, really change your trajectory. So I'd love to just sort of you to tell us a little bit about your story and, and how you got involved in the law and where you got to where you were. And then what was the thing that made you say, nope, I'm changing this, changing this path? Well, when I was coming up, I never wanted to be an attorney. My father was an attorney, then he was a judge, he was a prosecutor in there as well. He was a circuit court judge, so he did all the jury trials as well. And it never appealed to me. Maybe because it was so familiar, maybe it was just because, I don't know, it just, it was never anything I aspired to be. And to my parents' credit, neither ever said, we want you to be this growing up. They didn't. And I was really blessed with that. It was just be happy kind of thing. And as I stepped out, my first thing from college was I interned with Island Records in Manhattan. After college, I was at Island Records. I was a publicity video intern and I met their acts. I met different people. It was really cool. You two came for lunch. Different people popped in and out and I got to meet them and talk with them. But here's the thing. That summer in New York, I starved. I ate one salad a day. I walked blocks and blocks to get to their office, which was one floor above Tower Records and one floor below where Keith Richards lived. So I took the elevator with Keith Richards three times that summer. And that was kind of fun too. That was worth the whole summer. And I starved. So I realized that there is a concession to doing exactly everything you want at such a young age. I came back and I said, what will I do now? And what was interesting is I applied to be a substitute teacher and I taught at a middle school, fell in love with the kids. They were wonderful. They welcomed me. I was filling in for someone who was ill at the end of that. And that was like four or five months. The Board of Education said, we like you so much, we're going to send you to get a master's in education to come back and be a full-time teacher with us and we will pay. But I knew what the salary was. At that time, when I was looking to do that, the salary was thirteen 
or $14,000 annually. And I said, you know, I don't want to go through that New York starvation thing again. And I had an aunt who said, I want you to go to law school. She was an attorney as well. We have law in our family. And I said, you know, that may not be a bad idea. And that's what I did. So I went into law school and then I came out and I became an attorney and it was, it was good. I mean, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed law school. I enjoyed the friends I had. I enjoyed my whole career. And I have all these different promotions and things that happened. I worked my way up to jury trials and senior counsel and all these different things and different assignments. I was sent away on another assignment in Chicago. I have a master's in organization development and human resources from Johns Hopkins as well and other paperwork. I'm also an instructional designer. I have graduate work in that as well. So I went off and did all these different things. And for me personally, it was not a sudden term, but for everybody watching, of course it is. You look at that and you're like, how did that happen? Well, that was happening for many, many years because to me, it's still crazy. And for anyone listening, this is a big message. And I think you're going to agree with this is that it's absolutely insane that we look at our young people in their teens or early 20s, mid 20s, late 20s, even 30s and say, you have to decide right now what you're going to be for the rest of your life. How insane is that? I mean, that's one of the insanities that we grew up with thinking that's perfectly normal. It's not. And as you grow and change and mature and different experiences shape you, there are different things that you become and different things you want to explore. And I always knew I wanted my own business. I also knew I wanted to speak and I wanted to help. I'm a big writer and I have insights because I've studied so much for 15 or 20 years about the human psyche, the human condition and just helping people. And I said, you know, I'm going to go ahead and finally make that leap to be a consultant and a coach involved in business and personal development. And that's how I landed here. Interesting. And so when you decided, all right, I'm going to make that leap. Did you know exactly who you wanted to go after? Like, and why that group? Because I know you talk about your C-suite and entrepreneurs and sort of what made you hone in and pinpoint that group? That was an evolution. When I first came out, I studied online businesses for a couple of years before I left. So I didn't just blindly step out. I knew basically what I was going to do. And then as my business evolved, and I've been in business now for about three and a half years, it turned into C-suite executives, business professionals, the career people, entrepreneurs and business owners, because that's just where I respond and that's who responds to me. You have to make a decision when you go into business. You can't throw your door wide open to the world, which I initially did. I threw my door open to the world and the world comes in, but you're not equipped to serve the entire world. Even though I would love to say that I am and you would love to say that you're not. And you have certain skill sets that resonate with certain people. That is your ideal audience. And the other thing is, is that I really step back and the big crystallization for me was I am my own avatar. They say, who is your ideal client in business? Who's your ideal customer? It's me. And it always is us. We always want to take our lessons, our growth, our learning and the pain we've had, package it so someone else doesn't have to go through the exact same thing. That's our expertise. So when I really looked at this, it's the people who are in crazy killer corporate jobs, those are my people because that was me. Those business owners who are struggling to get things off the ground, how do we put it together when I've done all these other things? That's me. You know, entrepreneurial, that's me. Career person, that's me. And you package that. And if you really look, even from the top to to people starting out, you will find that everyone is their own avatar. And nobody says that. And once I realized that I was my own avatar, my people were like me, exactly what I'd gone through and the people I was trying to help, business, life, the whole mission became a lot clearer and perfectly clear, actually. Interesting. That's fascinating. Well, and I, I know that your um, sort of your tagline is where business success and happiness meet. That really intrigued me because, you know, you hear a lot about the business success part, but I think that everything that I saw that you did in your courses had that word happiness. 
And I know that there's so much you've got buzz and talk about just that, how elusive that is. I think we have a lot of stress going on just in general, you know, in our country right now. But also um, we work a lot with young women, millennial women and entrepreneurs and just how finding that they're, the level of unhappiness in where they are and their positions is really kind of, you know, it's, it's off the charts. So tell me a little bit more about why you chose to make that one of your tenants, this finding this and coaching happiness. And how do you do that? Well, for law, I found great happiness in law and I still do. There are pieces of me that are going to be pulling that back in because that's part of me and it makes me happy. It resonates with who I am. The piece about happiness is this, and we've heard this before, what you focus on, you receive. What you focus on, you get. And we are trained in this country to be weaker than we are. All right, number one, we are trained to be non-self-reliant, helpless, etc. When you start being more self-reliant, stronger, more confident, all those things you can achieve, you will find more happiness. And the trick is, is that focus on happiness, schedule happiness, because no one talks about it. We've lost that. It used to be that everybody worked, but then after work, a whole community would gather together, people would eat together, people would find that joy together, the laughs together. And we're so busy and fragmented, all of that has gone. Now you have to schedule your happiness. You have to make a commitment to it and you have to not be ashamed of it. You have to say, it's not selfish. It's not wrong for me to be happy because happy people, and this is all common sense, happy people are more successful, not only in their business, their career, but also in their personal relationships, the relationships with their children, the relationships with their neighbors. Happy people are happy and they have so much more success and happiness because of that. So if you find that you've lost your way, pause and make happiness a priority, not just for you, but for those you can help. Schedule fun, schedule happiness, because I'll tell you, and it's so true, and we know this and we hear it again and again, but really hear it this time. Nobody ever gets to the pearly gates and said, I wish I'd worked more. I'm so glad I didn't have a lot of happiness in my life. That's insane right? And we have to step back and realize with all of this going on, as you say, in the country, how much of it is just programmed training thrown at us and it's not real. It's just something that's made up for somebody else's agenda about something. And at the end of the day, you control your happiness. You control your fun. You control how you love, how you live. You really do. So stop letting the media, the world at large, the educational institutions train you to be your weaker self, your helpless self, your unhappy self. Say, this is just stupid and change it. And are there some specific things that you have some of your clients do if they're feeling a little stuck? Because I love that you say, okay, schedule time for happiness. Okay, so what does that look like? Everything is a habit, right? How do you get in the habit of doing that? Well, that, you raise an excellent point, terrific point, which is how do I do that? Because when you are so busy and the work is spinning you as opposed to you spinning work and your home obligations, family obligations, everything's spinning you, how do you stop that and figure out now at whatever age you are, young, middle, on the way up, what makes you happy? That's the first thing you have to do. And you're like, I have no idea. I've been working for years, raising a family for years. I've been married for you. I don't know, right? You stop and you think about it. Really think about it and take a flyer. You know, I love cooking. Let me just go cook something, you know, and try, try not to make it a solitary endeavor because that's where people are defaulting to. I'll spend time with my cell phone. I'll spend time on Audible listening to a book. I'll just shut everyone away. And 
truly, yes, you can find comfort and happiness in that. But real happiness and joy typically comes from relationships with others. And I'm not talking about a lot of people, but even just one other person to go enjoy something with and bounce things off and have that human connection. That's number one. For all of my clients in the consulting realm or in the coaching realm, and I have two distinct realms that I do that in, I have them look at their wheel of life. And that's in my program. It's Buddha's wheel of life that was hijacked by life improvement and personal development people in like the 70s. And my wheel is a little bit different. But if you Google the wheel of life, Buddha put out the different areas of a person's life and personal development people have changed it. I've added a few more pieces to the wheel. And what I have them do is go through just Google wheel of life, Buddha's wheel of life, go through that and look at your spiritual piece. Look at your relationship piece, your romance piece, your health piece, your sleep piece, all of those pieces of your life, because a lot of people have never thought about their life being the sum of these pieces of the wheel. It's a revelation for them. Then when they look at that, I have them rate what is their happiness and their feelings of success in relation to those pieces. Now, throughout our lives, different pieces mean different things. Different pieces have priority over other pieces. But wherever they are, I have them rate all the pieces, finances, spiritual, happiness, love, all of that, right? When they rate it, I ask them then to look at the wheel again of the ones they've rated. And some people come back, they don't rate happy on any of the pieces of their life or satisfied because they're just so upside down. Very successful on the outside, but a mess on the inside because they're so busy chasing what looks like happiness and success, but it's not because it's somebody else's program, not theirs. And then I ask them to take one or two pieces of the wheel, one preferably, but two if they want to, that means something to them. And then we take steps, immediate steps. I mean, immediate that day, the next day, the next week, all throughout to raise the scoring of that piece in their life. And that brings almost an immediate mind shift and some happiness into their life. Because number one, they're control. They're not feeling helpless. They're not feeling weak. They're feeling back in control of, hey, I really can do this. I don't know why I was thinking I couldn't, but I can. And then they start taking immediate specific steps and I have them do small, not big chunks, small to improve, let's say the health part of the wheel, the romance part of the wheel, the fun and adventure part of the wheel. And a lot of people are missing the fun and adventure. You, you and I just talked about that briefly before the uh, before the interview began and how fun that is. And just what can you do immediately to start turning that? And it's just scheduling it. This is not rocket science, but it does take a discipline and especially for women, not feeling guilty about wanting happiness for themselves. Stop with the guilt stuff. Women are trained to play small in order to make others feel bigger. Never works. Playing small only makes you small. It never makes the other person bigger or happier. Well, and it's interesting that you talk a lot about doing these things, trying not to be solitary, because I think that we talk a lot about this self-care. You know, it's a buzzword now, self-care. And, uh, you know, I, I think to myself, sure, do I like going and get a massage every once in a while? Sure, doing all that. But I agree with you. My best self-care is when I get together with a bunch of my girlfriends and go on a beach weekend. That's really what feeds my soul. And I think that's super important. You know, I do find, especially young women, often are siloed. And we talk a lot about how do you find your tribe and, you know, those women who are, are behind you and, and you can connect with and that really support your dreams and are going to help you get to that next level, whether it be personal, professional, whatever that is. Also, I want to kind of talk about, I listened to one of your podcasts on chain bells, but I thought it was really interesting, of course, because Brene Brown certainly has brought this, sort of this concept of, of shame to the forefront, but 
since we talk a lot about women helping women, I mean, that's what really what On the Dot is all about is how we can sort of create this ecosystem where women are genuinely supporting and gunning for and we're seeing abundance so that we're not going, oh, we don't have that, you know, the queen bee syndrome that, that you said, where if I'm the only one at the top, I feel competitive, where if you're seeing lots of women at the top, you feel like, oh, well, there are going to be lots of opportunities. So really creating that mindset. So I'd love for you just to talk a little bit. I think you had some really interesting things to say, just especially about women in this particular shaming thing. Well said. The The thing is, is that I also believe in leading with heart. Okay. I don't want to leave that out and leave that out of the interview because this is not all headspace. This is really heart space in here. So women naturally go to their heart. I want them to stay there. All right. But I want them to be smart about it. There's so much room at the top and that's spiritually relationships, business. It's not just hardcore money. This is not what we're talking about here. But here's the thing about shame bells is that in our history as women in this country, we'll just take this country alone. It was 1919-1920 slash when women got the right to vote. So we've only had it, you know, barely 100 years. So that's something new for us. We only started businesses back, say, really started rolling in the 70s, 80s, 90s now. This is all new. So within the past 100 years in the history of humanity, we as women in this country are leading the world in the development of women. So that's wonderful. We have room to keep going, obviously. Lots of lots of changes we still need, but we have to take a breather and give ourselves a break that we've come a long way in 100 years, right? But in those 100 years, unlike men who've had humankind from the beginning have run things, we are learning about joint venturing, about partnership, about really supporting women in powerful position in a powerful light that doesn't come instinctively. It doesn't. For and I call this ancestral DNA, for centuries, for the history of humankind, women saw other women as a threat if they came near their home because they could be put out and the new woman would come in. So they were a threat. Now they would bond together over family things, over things the village needed, right? But not in terms of personal success. And no woman was really allowed to outshine another woman. Women were property and they were demeaned and they were treated so differently. So all of that's ancestral DNA about, hey, a lot of women still believe that if a woman shines brightly, who does she think she is? Where a guy will say, wow, look at him go. He's something else. I really want to know how he did it. I'm going to go talk to him. Women don't look at it that way, right? And that's that ancestral DNA about women being trained to stay small, play small, take care of other people's needs, take care of other people's success, promote other people's success, but not their own and not another woman's success. It doesn't come naturally. The younger generations out there now, they see it differently and they're so much better at it. They don't have the queen bee thing, right? It's all of that. And we have to be kind to ourselves and realize we've only been in the mainstream and really not even the mainstream 100 years, probably maybe the last 20. And it's only been in the last maybe five years that women are increasingly getting on boards across the country. The boards weren't even open to them. So the shame bells come from women not understanding it's okay for other women to be successful, that they're not being full of themselves, that success is not a bad word. Ambition is not a bad word. There's no way to make it a negative. And I wrote down the definition for success. It's desire and determination to achieve things. That's ambition to achieve success. So if you don't want to do it in a career business setting, do it in your family setting. Do it with the best garden ever. 
do it with, you know, writing a documentary that just changes people's lives. It doesn't have to be the basic male quadrant of what success looks like, but please don't walk away with your identity, success and what it means to you, happiness and what it means to you and your ambition and the shame bells. And you'll see if you get a paper cut, women will come racing towards you. If you write a New York Times bestseller, not so much. And the trick is to change that, to say, Stop showing up for the easy stuff that makes you feel useful and start showing up when women achieve big success and saying, I'm proud of you. Get those words out of your mouth, onto paper, into social media and start promoting women in big positions, in big ways, not just when people have a paper cut defaulting to the traditional cave woman schism, right? Like I'm here to take care. That's not support. And women say, I hear them say, I am supportive. I'm like, you're supportive on small. Whenever a woman does something small, like look at my painted room, look at my new hair color, you are all over it. New York Times bestseller, not so much. Let's change that. I love that, especially because of course our whole mission and reason for being is really about providing these relatable role models. And I, I key in on relatable because it's women who are just like us. The more we see that the normalization of success, right? That it's not uncommon. Then it becomes like, oh, okay. Then we're seeing it all the time. We become used to it. That becomes our norm. And I think that we do need to get that in. And it's why people ask me all the time, why do you have a woman to watch every single day? Isn't that hard? I'm like, well, yeah, it's hard. <laughs> but the reason why we do it every day is because we understand mindset. It takes so long to change a habit right? And to get your mind changed to go up so that you're not going, oh gosh, I don't know if I can do this because I don't see anybody else out there. Every single day I hear about women doing amazing things and this is not abnormal. And I think that it all ties together is like how we react to that and surrounding yourself, I think, with the right people, making sure that you're not bringing those people into your life. And that is partially our responsibility. We have to guard from that. You, you do. You have to protect your dreams. You have to protect your growth. You have to protect what it is you really want for yourself if it's a change. Because here's the thing. Whenever you transition and you say you want to become someone else or you aspire to be maybe even a bigger helper than you are now, bigger teacher, whatever it is, right? When you go into transition, everyone around you goes into transition too. People don't like change. They don't like being catapulted into transition. So they will hold you where they want you to be for their comfort level. And women just have to learn. Again, it's only been a hundred years since we were really recognized in such a way. And, you know, gender protection was added. You know, this is not, this is fairly new and it's certainly new in the history of humankind. And we just have to be patient and understand that we are changing as a gender. We totally are. Women control the majority of wealth in this country now. And worldwide, we control over one third of the world's wealth, be it through inheritance, be it inheriting through a marriage, whether it's work, whether it's our own companies, it doesn't matter. The reality is women are that far along that we control over half the wealth here in different countries. We're stepping up in a large way. And when you pour from a full cup, you can do so much to help society and promote causes and bring about the change we want. Even now, this election cycle in 2018, this is the most women who have ever run for office for the Senate, you know, Congress or the House in the history of the world, let alone the history of this country. So right now we're like, oh, you know, we walk along every day, not realizing we're making history. You're making history right now. People listening to this are making history. I'm making history. We're part of history and you can shape that. 20 years ago, no one could have envisioned that. They couldn't have envisioned it probably five years ago. And here we are today and we're not done yet. We're all evolving. We're all changing, but promote these women, women you believe 
believe in. And men too. I'm all for the guys who promote the women as well. And let's see what we can do when we let each other dream big and be bigger than we have historically been. There's no downside to this. There is no shame in this. There is no shame bell that women ring at each other. You know, how dare you be somebody? Stop it. Put the shame bells down. It's faulty training. It's not real. Let it go. I think that's amazing. And I, I was talking to somebody recently about sort of, I keep hearing all these, the first, the person, even this morning on the news, they were recapping kind of the big highlighted races that, and the, the women who are running, you know, first African-American, she would be the first African-American governor. She would be the first Native American, the first, the first, the first. I can't tell you how many times I heard the first. And I thought to myself, I mean, that's great. You know, you want to be happy because you're the first, but it is sort of irritating. <laughs> Why are there still so many firsts? That's what I'm thinking. Like, I mean, it has kind of, as much as I am deep in this work and hearing about women, I sometimes get my brainwashed the other way where I go, really, these are firsts? How is that possible? You know, I think that we are making some great strides, but have a long way to go. And I don't want to gloss over what you said about the largest transference of wealth happening, because I talk a lot about this messaging to women, understanding what that means understanding that that means that you have to invest in other female-led companies and frankly, other male-led companies. You have to become the venture capitalist. You have to become the large philanthropist. You have to become, you have to step into that power because we could also sit back and go, oh boy, I don't feel comfortable with this money. I don't feel comfortable talking about money or give, you know, and we can't do that. We really have to step into that because at the end of the day, if we hold that wealth, we're making the world go around now. We just have to own that. I think that women control over 60% of the consumer spending index. It might be a lot higher than that. It's at least 60. And the thing is, is that it's just the shame. And we hear the shame bell when we do something in our own head. And it's just training. And there's so much good, man or woman, you know, boy or girl, when they just are their full selves and they bring their full selves to the planet because most people are good. Like the country song says, I believe most people are good. They are. So be that full self. And yeah, as far as the angel investing and the venture capital, it's right now a record number of women who have that kind of money to form those angel networks and those venture capital networks. And that's changing the dynamic of everything, doesn't it? It changes the dynamic of women-owned businesses now getting funding and who they employ, who they promote. It's a whole different scenario unfolding now. And just be supportive of it and get behind these younger ones who really dream bigger. Do not ring your bell at them. Retire the shame bell, right? Get rid of them. Well said, Melinda. Well, as we wrap up today, I would love to, you know, since you work with so many entrepreneurs and executives, um, is there a specific piece of advice that's your go-to that you would give, especially for women, that you would always, I mean, it's like your baseline, like if you do nothing else, do this. Is there sort of a piece of advice that, that you like to give? Yes, and it's pretty heavy, but I don't care. I stand by it. Live before you die. Do not waste your life. Do not waste one more day without you being what you're supposed to be and bringing your gifts to the planet. Live before you die. Don't chase it because I'll tell you, the end comes faster than you think. The years fly by. And if you just stop right now and say, I'm going to be happy and successful on my terms, it's going to be a priority without shame, self-shame or shame from anyone else. I'm going to really live. Don't wait. Start today. Right now. Start now. You're worth it. 
That's great advice. Well, I just want to thank you, Carolyn, so much for being with us and for giving us such great um, nuggets and things to think about. It's awesome. And you can find more on boomtank.com. We'll, of course, have the link connected to this podcast as well. But check her out. She's got all kinds of really cool courses that you offer and, and all kinds of coaching. And your podcast is great. You've interviewed some really amazing people. So I think that, you know, women, especially in our listeners, have a lot to learn. So you can definitely check out more. But I really appreciate you being here today and good luck. I'm excited to see what you do next. Honor Melinda. I'm excited to see what you do. I love your work. I love your show. You're stepping out onto the planet in a big way. And I, I couldn't be more honored to be here and more thrilled to have spent time with you. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Looking for more inspiration, advice, and direction? Subscribe to our daily email newsletter and podcast, Four Minutes with On The Dot, where we provide you with the tools and motivation you need to get out there and be the badass babe you were meant to be. In observation of the Thanksgiving holiday, we will not be airing a new On The Spot episode next week on November 22nd, but we'll be back on Thursday, November 29th. From all of us here at On The Dot, have a very happy Thanksgiving.